Heavenly Father, it is our prayer that this country would be a Christian nation. You know, that's not even quite right, Lord. It is our prayer that our country would be a nation of Christians. But in order for that to happen, it seems there's going to need to be an awakening, a revival. A revival of what we knew to be true as a country some years ago, and we need to be true again, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That we are citizens of God's kingdom first. That love matters, and that truth matters. Lord God, it is my prayer that the church would stand up and be counted in this moment. But not to make some big political statement, Lord, but to make a statement of love that cannot be overlooked. God, we must love those around us. Jesus, you told us to love even our enemies. I pray, Lord, that love would win the day. A love that is based on truth. You are the truth, Lord Jesus. Your word is truth. Lord, there are many among us who are dealing with all kinds of difficult situations. I think about Andy Vogie, and as such a young man to be dealing with such significant cancer, I just would ask that you, Lord, would intervene. We ask for healing. I know, Lord, that Andy has, has shown extreme faith through this, and I know he will continue to. I ask for healing. Lord, I think about Scotty Hauer and the surgery that's coming up and the ordeal that he's been through with his back for years and years. God, I pray that the surgery would go well. I pray pray for Brittany and for the kids that they would feel a sense of peace through this. And Lord, I pray that this would be a turning point, a moment when things could get back to normal again and the pain would decrease that he's been in for years. Lord, guide the hands of the surgeon. I pray for healing. There is so much that we need to be praying for, Lord. So many people around us that need your healing touch. There are so many people around us that are grieving, and they just need your presence, Lord. God, we desire to be your people. We desire, Lord, to be honoring to you. Help us, God. Help us to be your people. Pray for Shirley, that her neck would get better, and for this friend who's lost his toes, Lord, and especially, Lord, as as we're, we're praying for him about the spiritual needs that Shirley has raised. And of course, Lord, we're just thankful for the many blessings you've given us. We're thankful for little protections, like running out of gas at just the right spot. We're thankful for for big protections and big opportunities like Alyssa is as she moves forward in, in her pursuit of becoming a doctor. Lord, what an amazing opportunity. We thank you, Lord, for all you've given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Have you ever been lost? I mean really lost. I mean, there's, as, a, as a kid, there's that moment when you've got just a little bit of independence and, and you're in like the Mall of America or something and you decide, I guess I can figure this out by myself and you lose track of your parents. You know that feeling you get? That's when the kid just opens up and just freaks out. Have you ever been that kid? Have you ever been in, in the wilderness and been following a trail and all of a sudden the trail isn't there anymore? And you're not just totally sure where you're at. You know that feeling you get? Where you're not sure which way to go. That feeling you get when I don't really know what to do and if I make the wrong choice and I start walking, I might actually walk away from safety instead of towards safety. It's that same feeling that you get if, I remember when I, I've told the story where I went underwater and I hit my head, and in that moment, I didn't know which way was up. And if, if I swam, I wanted to swim a direction, but I didn't know if I swam the direction, I might be swimming down. I was confused. You know that fear that you get right here when that happens? Which way do you hike? How do you get home? If you've ever had a moment like this, you know that feeling of dread that goes, it, you know, it kind of goes down your spine, it kind of sits in your heart, and then it plops in your stomach. You know that fear that I'm talking about? It's not pleasant. It's fear. It's anxiety. It's stress. It's worry. And it is scary. It's in moments like this that one simple little tool could save your life. A compass. Pretty much every student who has gone through sixth grade at Bertha Hewitt School in the past 40 years has learned how to use a compass during their week at the Long Lake Conservation Center. Like many other parents here, I had the opportunity to be an adult chaperone at Long Lake. I learned how to orienteer with a compass, as did lots of us. <laughs> right? Now, I might not be the sharpest arrow in the quiver, but I did eventually figure out how to use a compass. To my undying shame, there was a few sixth graders that learned, they figured it out before I did. That's, that was embarrassing. But I did learn. I learned how to do it. You know, with a simple compass in hand and an understanding of how to use it, we go from fear and anxiety and stress and worry. But that changes, doesn't it? To peace and direction and action and purpose. That's what a compass does. It changes our fear, anxiety, stress, and worry to peace, direction, action, and purpose. Well, I recently ran across a little devotional from a Church of God leader. His name is Jeff Janess. He was the longtime leader of Servant Solutions with the Church of God. And he, he had two little paragraphs that I want to read to you in a, in a devotional. He said, As followers of Christ, we should strive to always see Jesus as our true north and keep our eyes on him. This interesting thing about a compass and how the magnetic pole always points north is that you then know where all the other directions run. 
By understanding that Jesus is truly the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, our eyes focus on him as our true north. Should that not be how we live? If we are aligned to the true north, Jesus, we can always discern the direction we need to go. We are informed by his position relative to ours, how we can best move and act from that orientation. Perhaps just as importantly, we can identify the directions that don't lead north and wisely avoid following paths that get us confused and lost. With an accurate compass, we never have to wonder which way to go. We can make the journey confidently even when we find ourselves in places unknown. We have what we need to create a reliable roadmap. End of quote. This morning, we are going to once again go and sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his wisdom for how to live our life as his disciples. The words of Jesus we look at today may seem impossible. They might seem impossible. But as we listen to Jesus, I want you to remember this idea of the compass. Let's pray before we begin. Lord God, as we open up your word, it is our prayer that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, we need you here. As you have inspired the writing of the word, now inspire our interpretation of the word as we listen to you. Amen. Please open your Bibles once again to Luke chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 22. But before we start, just a little reminder. song I wrote, you might want to sing it note for note, don't worry, be happy. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds! Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, 
and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, my guess is that these words of Jesus are pretty familiar to you. In Matthew's gospel, most of this section is in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Luke, in his gospel, has connected these words of Jesus very intentionally to the parable of the rich fool that we studied last week. Now, I want to remind you, something I said a year ago about Luke. Yes, we've been in Luke for a year, more than a year. So you, I, I forgive you if you've forgotten something I said in my introductory sermon of Luke. There's mild chuckling happening. People behind their face masks are, are giving me snarky looks, I can tell. Luke, more than any other gospel, is concerned about how possessions can corrupt the faith. More than any other gospel, Luke is concerned about how riches can make the Christian life difficult. And when you read the gospel of Luke, you can't help but notice in so many places, Luke talks about possessions. Now, we're not entirely sure why Luke decided to emphasize this more than the other gospels. But I've got a hunch. Who's the audience of the gospel of Luke. Do you remember that from a year ago? Gentiles. That's us. That's us. Now, undoubtedly, Jews, and in fact, Jesus, even in our next section we're going to look at next week, Jesus isn't afraid to point out that the Jews have a problem with greed. But this is specifically to the Gentiles. The the gospel of Luke is a Gentile gospel. Do you suppose that Luke, when he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, maybe knew that Gentiles were going to need this. Do you suppose that when Gentiles become believers in Christ, Gentiles are going to bring with them this baggage of our security is found in our money and possessions? It's on purpose. We, I, don't, I mean, this is not going to come as a huge surprise to you, right? Americans have a problem with this. We have a problem with thinking that it is our wealth that gives us our security. Now, I'm about to teach, well, coordinate a Financial Peace University class. So it is important that we use our money well, that we are good stewards of our money. But our security does not come from our money. It comes from God. And the reason that we we steward our money well is not so we can build barns. Remember last week? It's so that we can bless others in the name of Jesus Christ. So, Luke is very intentional. He's very intentional in his gospel telling his audience of Gentiles, riches and possessions can mess you up. They can, as as disciples in Jesus Christ, it is a primary issue that can get you off track. That's what he's saying. 
So if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, listen up. Because you're about to get some in-depth teaching that we need to know. And by the way, I wanted you to notice in the very first verse of this, verse 22, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples. Now that's interesting because in the previous parable about the rich fool, that starts with, and Jesus addressed a very large crowd, a crowd that was so big that they were pressing in. Jesus now, after talking to the large crowd, has pulled his disciples aside and just talked to his disciples. Now, this matters because if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and my guess would be most of you in here, if I, if I asked you, you would raise your hand. Yes, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Yes, I want to live my life for Jesus. Then I want you to know, this specific section is specifically for you. The last parable was addressed to the whole crowd, some of whom were disciples, some of whom weren't. But this section, this is for you and for me. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is specifically for you. And then there's one more thing. See the word therefore? Now I know I've said this a hundred times and it's annoying. Whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, you need to figure out what it is therefore. There's a couple of you who have never heard me say that before, so I wanted to make sure I got that in there. So what is the therefore therefore? Well, as I've already been saying to you, I won't belabor the point. This section that we're reading about not worrying is directly connected to the parable that came before it. I, I need you to get that. Because once again, and this is the advantage of, of reading exegetically, reading all the way through a book, you get to see the connections. See, a lot of times pastors preach on a very specific part of Scripture, and they ignore what happens before and what's after. A lot of times people, when they read devotionals, even though devotionals are good, like My Daily Bread, they're good, but you miss out on the connecting passages before and after. And this is so important because this passage about do not worry is completely connected to what Jesus said before in the parable of the rich young fool. And if you remember that parable, remember back to chapter 12, verse 21, it says right here, that is what that parable is about. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. It's connected directly to this. So this idea of not worrying is connected to the idea of storing up riches for yourself but not being generous with God and with others. So somehow, worrying in Luke here, Jesus has Luke has taken the words of Jesus and Jesus has connected worrying about being generous. That's an important thing. And then look at verses 22 and 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, this is just the next verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. I want you to see that it's connected. That matters. You see, when we are generous instead of greedy, there might be some concern that you won't have enough for yourself. Did you hear that? Have you, ever, have you ever thought about that? I'm not sure. Remember last week I said, you know, tip your waiters and waitresses more than 14 cents, right? Be generous with your tip. 
Be generous with how you interact with people. Be generous. But there's that little thing in our mind that says, if I'm too generous, I won't have enough for myself. False. From the words of God himself. False. That's the point Jesus is making. God himself will take care of your needs. Moreover, the complete total of our life is much more than just satisfying our need for food and clothing. You know, by the way, it's interesting. The Greek word uh, in this passage that translates um, life, the word itself in Greek actually means soul. Some translations of the Bible actually use the word soul here instead of life. The NIV uses life. But the point is clear. Jesus is making the point that your soul, in other words, everything that makes up your life, is so much more than food and clothing. And yet, see, the point Jesus is making is, so many people, all they think about all the time is food and clothing. Jesus is saying there's so much more than that, and Jesus will provide those things. Don't worry about being generous. Don't worry about being generous. And by the way, one more quick thing about verse 22. Do you see where it says the command, do not worry? You see that? That's a command. That is a command of Jesus. Now, the thing that's interesting is that this is as a parallel to the passage we looked at last week. Do you remember last week? Uh, there was the passage that said, do not be greedy. Do you remember it said that? Do not be greedy. It said a variation of that. And I told you last week that the present, that, that word do not be greedy was a present tense Greek verb. So what that means is a present tense Greek verb is something that is true, it's an action that is true, it's happening, but it's an action that is continually happening, okay? So it's not just true once and then it's done. In Greek, the present tense means it's true and it continues to be true. So when Jesus says, watch out, you know, don't be greedy, be, be cautious of being greedy, Jesus is saying, that's not a one-time thing. He's saying, continually Always be on the lookout for being greedy. And now you know what that is? Do not worry. That's a present tense Greek verb. Don't worry and continually don't worry. It is just like a constant state of not worrying. You are constantly not worrying. That's what the Greek means right there. Do not worry and continually don't worry. All right, verse 24. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Well, this is, this is interesting because in the parallel in Matthew, Matthew doesn't bring up ravens. He just says birds. This is just a little tidbit, kind of a fun fact. Why would Jesus say ravens? I mean, why didn't he say, consider the, the sparrows, right? Or consider the, the robins. Why ravens? Well, Leviticus, everybody's favorite book. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 15. 
says that ravens are detestable. Ravens are in a list of animals that are unclean. The word detestable in Leviticus means unclean. So that means if you touch a raven, you're actually unclean. You can't go to the temple in the Old Testament. You have to wait a night and for the uncleanliness to leave. And obviously, you can't eat them. In the Old Testament, you're not supposed to eat ravens. Now, if you want to eat a raven today, go for it. Uh, we're in the New Covenant. But the whole point of this is, the whole point of this is, think about the point Jesus is making, okay? The point is, God loves even the detestable animals. In fact, God doesn't just love them, He provides for them. God is the provider of the detestable animals. And of course, the point is, this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. The point is, how much more will He love you? How much more will He provide for you? Now remember, in the context of this passage, this is about generosity. When you are generous, God will provide for you. He provides even for the detestable animals. How much more will He provide for you? Don't worry. All right, verses 25 and 26. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Okay, so if you just look at that verse... Now, that right there, that's some A-plus prime good advice. (laughs) I don't think I can add to that verse. All I can really do is just say it in a different way. Worrying is not helpful. Worrying is ineffective. (laughs) Worrying doesn't change anything. Worrying is pointless. How many more of these do you want me to come up with? I mean, it just, it just, I'm just basically just saying that in a different way, right? In case you didn't catch what Jesus is saying, worrying is dumb. Can I do that one? I don't think Jesus would say that you're dumb. So that, that's my own personal thing. It is, though. It's, it's, it's not an effective thing to do. If you want to use a fancy word, Worrying is not efficacious. There's a fancy word for you if you like fancy words. It's useless. It's not helpful. And then Jesus goes back once again to reminding us of God's provision in the next two verses, 27 and 28. Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Oh, now Jesus has connected faith into worrying. Oh, that's interesting. And all of this is, remember, this is connected with generosity. And see, this is the point I feel like when, when most pastors just grab a section out of Scripture, and I'm sure I've been... I've been uh, you know, done this too, unfortunately. But if you just grab this section out of Scripture and just talk about worrying, you miss the connection that this is about generosity. You miss the connection that Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples about not worrying about not having the fundamentals of life because you're generous. That's the point. He just told the crowd 
Don't be like the rich fool. And now he's telling the disciples, and if you're generous, God will take care of you. This is the point of, the, of this whole section. This is what I love about when you actually read the Bible in context, things like this just pop out. When you just read a little section, you miss it. Those who trust in God, when they are generous, God provides for them. Now, verses 29 and 30. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. Okay, I I need to just slow down here. I've kind of been just going after it. I, I need to just slow down and remind you of something. Did you know God loves you? Did you know that? He's your father. You are his child. He loves you. He loves you. And he knows what you need. When fathers, good fathers, know that their children need something, what do they do? They provide it for them. That's what good fathers do. And your heavenly father literally knows everything you need, like more than you do. More than you do. He loves you. He knows what you need. So you don't need to focus on those things. You don't need to chase after those things. Like the, like the pagans do. I mean, do you see? I mean, Jesus even brings it out. The, the pagan world, their whole thing is to chase after what they think they need. It's like their whole motivation structure. Jesus says, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. If you are doing that, stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's like, I don't know how to make that better than what Jesus has said. You don't need to do that. He loves you. He knows what you need. Okay, so what are we supposed to focus on? Well, verse 31, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do you know when God's people keep their eyes on God's kingdom, God provides their needs? Oh, that was pretty good. This is the part that I say twice like I do in my sermons sometimes. When God's people are focused on God's kingdom, God provides their needs. So I want you to do something. Uh, This is called a pair share. I haven't done this for a while, but I would like you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to just answer this one question, like literally 15 seconds. What does it mean to seek God's kingdom? Go ahead, share. What does it mean to seek God's kingdom? If you're at home, you don't get to cheat. You got to do this.
Seeking God's kingdom means that you live as a citizen of God's kingdom. Like, you are not, I, I know that this is hard, hard to wrap your mind around, okay? We are not primarily citizens of the United States of America. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. That's our primary allegiance. Our primary allegiance is not to the United States of America. Our primary allegiance is to God's kingdom. Secondarily, the United States of America or anything else. We are to live as foreigners in this world. Like, we're supposed to consider that we have a green card. Like, I'm a green card American. Like, I'm here and I'm going to work and I'm going to make this place good and I believe in the ideals of America, but my passport is from God's kingdom. I am a citizen of God's kingdom. I seek God's kingdom first. I seek Jesus Christ first. Our true citizenship is God's kingdom, not man's. And we are to live as citizens of God's kingdom, with outrageous generosity. Outrageous generosity. When people see citizens of God's kingdom, they should go, that person's different than everybody else. Do you know that? Somehow that person's not a normal American. Which is true. Because my citizenship is not America. It's the kingdom of God. When people see us, they should know just by seeing us that we trust God as our provider. It should be evident without us speaking. By the way, you know who's not our provider? The U.S. government is not our provider. We can talk politics if you want another time. But don't get fooled into thinking that the United States government is your provider. We are to live with outrageous love for one another. Outrageous compassion. Outrageous kindness. Everybody around us should be able to identify. They should be able to see, yep, there is a citizen of God's kingdom. Yep, there's a citizen of God's kingdom. Yep, there's one. That's what should be happening. And then... Verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. I, did, just look, read that. Did, did you read that? I mean, are you still awake? I mean, you're kind of like, there's, there's, you're fading. some of you are fading. Look at that verse. Your father wants to give you the kingdom. God the Father wants to give you and me His kingdom. Is there any confusion about what that says right there? The only confusing thing is, we don't believe it, so we don't receive the gift. This outrageous generosity that is followed up by God's outrageous provision for our needs is available. Did, it, did you get that? This is available to us. Wow. And then verse 33, 
Sell your possessions and give to the poor. (laughs) Now it's like, oh, wait a second. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Well, you might look at that and say, is Jesus saying we're supposed to sell everything that we have? I'm not sure I agree with that. Well, Luke and Jesus in Luke is not done talking about possessions. We're going to encounter that question again later in Luke, and I'm going to expand on it then. We don't have time now. The short answer is, you need to be ready to sell your possessions and give to the poor. You need to be ready at all times to exhibit outrageous generosity. And God will provide your needs if you do. We'll talk more about that in a future sermon. You know, more than any other gospel, Luke does emphasize this. And the thing that's important to remember, and this is, I've already said this once, but it's worth repeating. Riches and possessions are very dangerous for followers of Jesus Christ. Very dangerous. Extremely dangerous. Because we can so easily become the guy that builds the new barns in the previous parable. That is really easy to do. You must be careful. You see, God is our provider. When we are outrageously generous, God will provide. Human riches and possessions will always be a danger to us. Because when you have stuff and when you have money, you worry about losing it. <laughs> that, that's what Jesus is saying. When you've got a bunch of stuff and possessions that you've hoarded into yourself, like your constant pastime is worrying losing it. Now, that does not mean that it's wrong for Christians to have riches and possessions. But it does mean you have to be careful that riches and possessions don't have you. We need to be always ready to open up those barns. Always ready to be generous, outrageously generous. Jesus reminds us to be rich toward God. There it is again. We're called to be rich toward God. As followers of Christ, our hands are to be open, not closed. Followers of Christ are generous. Followers of Christ do not worry about losing their riches. Followers of Christ do not get distracted by the fear of losing our stuff and our money. God provides. He loves you. And now the most obvious yet stunning statement about Jesus in this, about this entire subject. The last verse, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I say these words to you every Sunday, don't I? Pretty much every Sunday. When I pray the prayer, when we receive the offering, the tithes and offering, I almost always end my prayer with that little phrase, don't I? You know, here, here's the scary thing, because if, if, you, if you paraphrase that just a little bit, this is what it comes to. If an investigator traced your spending habits, what would they find? If someone could just go and look at all of your spending habits, what would it show? Do you want to know the answer? It would show you. It would show you. That should cause you to sit up straight 
and Jesus meant it to. Jesus meant that to be a stunning statement because it's true. Where you spend your money is a description of who you are. Do you have an open hand or a closed fist? So, in conclusion, what is stopping you from being generous? There you go. Now we've got into the contextual heart of what Jesus is saying. Do you hear it? When Jesus says, do not worry, in context he's saying, when you are generous, you don't need to worry. Because God will take care of your need. What's holding you back from being generous? That's the question of this passage. That's the question that leaves, it, it, leaves, it lingers in this passage. What is holding you back? Is it fear? Is it worry? Is it anxiety? Is it stress? Hmm. Only if you don't have a compass. Only if you don't have a compass. Then yes, you should be fearful and worried and anxious, and stressed out. Yes, you better figure out a way to take care of yourself. But when you have a compass, you know the direction. And then you know the action to take. You know what to do because you have peace and movement in the right direction. Verse 31, again, but seek His kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. God is ready to lift the worry and anxiety off of your shoulders. If you are worried and have anxiety because of all the stuff that's been going on, if you've been tricked into thinking that it is the government who's going to save you, who's going to be your provider, if you've believed that lie, you are holding on to anxiety just like someone lost in a wilderness that doesn't know which way to walk. I am offering you the compass because I know the answer. We just studied it for the last 25 minutes. That's the answer to the worry and fear and anxiety that you've been feeling. God loves you. He loves me. He's your father, your good father. He's ready to give to you everything you need. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 sums this up well. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Remember the compass. And as you think about worrying and anxiety, and you're thinking about how can I be generous and all of that stuff, remember the compass is what gives you direction and action because you know that Jesus is your true north. Remember to use your compass and be outrageously generous. God is ready. To provide. All right, before I say the closing prayer, I want to remind you at home don't just get up from your couch. I want you to, if you, to participate in the Financial Peace University preview that we're going to have. Uh, the live stream is going to continue to go. And I also want to ask you when I get done praying, would you please leave the sanctuary quickly? I know you like to linger and talk, but please do that in the narthex. But if, you're will, if you want to stay for the preview, I, I 
please, 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 stay for the preview. Just come up to the front and we'll have the preview. We'll go from there. Now, let's pray together. Lord God, it is our prayer that we would seek your kingdom and we would recognize that you are ready to provide for us. Are we ready to be outrageously generous, outrageously full of love, outrageous citizens of your kingdom first? Lord, there is nothing that can stop the church when disciples are with that mindset. We are ready, Lord. We are ready. Give us your strength. We are ready to be generous for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.